0: up on the screen if you don't have your Bibles. Dear friends, I urge you, as aliens and strangers in the world, to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God honour the king. Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But how is it to, um, to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, This is commendable before God. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate when he suffered. He made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to to him who judges justly, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul.
1: It's really good to be back. It's, uh, I had a great holiday, but it's really great to be back and uh, look forward to sharing this passage of scripture with you. But let's pray just before we, um, we have a look at it. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the things that it teaches us, that we might live as your children, that in the difficulties of life and the strangeness of this world, a world that's in rebellion against you that we as your children might know how it is that you want us as your kids to live so Father I pray that as we look at this passage of scripture that you might encourage us through it challenge us with it and that we might take it into our hearts that your spirit might open it to us that we might better reflect what it means to be a child of God in this world Father I pray these things in the precious and wonderful name of our Saviour Christ. Amen. If you remember what Josh was talking about last week to those of you who are here, he was explaining how the fact as he was able to say this of course being Asian, he was saying what defines sort of an Asian community and he was able to talk about that. I can almost talk about it because I'm the only non-Asian in my family. Um, but he talked about things like a place where there's food and and a place where there's food and somewhere where there's a lot of food. And, and he talked about a whole range of issues because he was basically trying to say what is a place looked like where there are Christians? What do you, what, what is a Christian family, if you like, looked at? And he talked about love and he talked about following in Christ and wanting to read the scriptures, those sorts of things. Now, now, Peter moves on in what we're getting to today, the start of probably the main section of 1 Peter. You see, he's writing to a church which is struggling to know how, if it follows God, can it live in this world which is, if you like, opposed to God and as it as or as we as people live in that world we're going to we're going to suffer hostility we're going to suffer suffering if you like because of the fact that we follow Jesus he's just said this is what you have to live like but his main thing is what do you do then how how should this conflict be resolved in the way that you live the first couple of verses verses 11 and 12 pretty much a he's going to sort of summarise what he wants to say. And then, for those of you who are interested in structure, he then goes and talks about how this is played out for everybody and then how it's played out for a specific group of people, slaves slaves against masters. And then he gives the example, if you like, the foundation of why we should live like this. If you remember the last part of what Rochelle read, that was talking about Christ Jesus. He says, you need to have him as your example. Follow in his footsteps. And the word there, for example, is... I did not know, when I went to school, my first couple of years, my mum homeschooled me, and they bought these books, they're from America, and they had the A, the circles and the crosses, and you had to put your... pet. Do they still do this? And you had to copy it out. It's kind of that word. He was the example of how we should live and it is we follow in his footsteps that's the middle part and then in chapter 3 he comes with another specific example where he talks about husbands and wives and then he goes back with another statement to everybody but where, are only going to look at those first three his comment to everybody his comments about slaves and then this example that we have in Christ Jesus but in all of them it's supposed to be this encouragement how do we as people who have been built into a holy household, a royal priesthood, a people who belong to God, how we should live in this world. So just very quickly, let's look at his summary statement in verse 11 and 12. Now, I'm going to pull it apart a little bit, but there are four ways that he describes the people here. Firstly, he calls them beloved. We've got the words up here, dear friend. But the word is Beloved, those people who are loved. If you like, it's this idea of people who are not only loved by him, but more importantly, loved by God. He wants them to understand that all of the comments that he's going to make, he's talking to them in this relationship of care. And even though he's going to say to them, take the suffering and don't answer back, he's doing that from that position of love. Secondly, he calls them foreigners and exiles. He wants them to recognise that when somebody steps out of the control of living in this world, living for themselves, or living according to the pattern of life that everyone else around them lives, and they step into being in Christ Jesus, they say, we now are going to follow Christ as Lord, that they have put themselves in opposition to something. They've now become strangers in the world. They've become aliens, different. i just been in Canada. And you could tell almost immediately, even when we went to church, that we were different from everybody else. Because they were all wearing big, huge jackets and everything. And we kind of rocked up in clothes and just walked from the car really, really quickly. And we looked different. And then the conversation was different. Talking with this gentleman after church, we said, "How's it here?" He says, "Yeah, it's good." And we started talking about life. He said, "Well, the only problem here is mosquitoes." He said, "Well, you got moose, you got mosquitoes." And I'm thinking, "What on earth does that mean? If you got moose, you got mosquitoes." He's basically saying, "If you want to kill moose, so you can shoot them and hunt them and eat them." Then you have to have mosquitoes, so you should understand it's okay to have mosquitoes. It meant nothing to me. I was an alien. I was a foreigner. It didn't make much sense. I know when we were in Ethiopia, every single time we would go into into Addis Ababa airport, there were lines. We haven't even been in Australia. There was the Ethiopian line for those who are citizens of Ethiopia. There was the East Africa line and you could go in there if you were from East Africa and then there was the alien line. That's what it was called, aliens. And I would go get in the alien line. I didn't mind. My kids would go and stand in over here. They wanted to be East African or Ethiopian and we'd say you have to be over here. They'd say we live here. We live in Ethiopia. We've lived here most of our lives. And we would say it doesn't make any difference you're still aliens, even if you've lived here your whole life, because you're a citizen of Australia. And what Peter points out to the people here is that once they've put themselves into a position of a follower of Christ Jesus, they have now placed themselves as aliens and strangers. But then the other way that he explains them, he says, but you live among the Gentiles, or you live among the pagans. He wants them to recognise that even though they are aliens, they're separated, they have not only a responsibility that they can't ignore, but just from the very fact of life, they live among other people. They're not to separate themselves from that other group. In fact, their mentality, their understanding is to be that I live among others and we read this all throughout the scriptures, that we as Christians as I understand we don't live separate from the world and try and do our thing away from them, but our responsibility in Christ Jesus as aliens, separate people, is to live among them with a purpose. And then the fourth thing he says, which kind of qualifies a lot of what it comes afterwards, he says, though they accuse you of doing wrong this is a a statement if you like what is their position he is making a comment here that those people who live as Christians who live as God wants them to live amongst other people will be accused of being different the word here for wrong is that word evil (laughs) It doesn't just have the sense of, of wrongness as in not good but as you don't belong. There's a set of rules and you're playing the wrong ones. I don't know if you've ever been you know, I used to play, um when I was a little kid, you know, I grew up here and you watch Aussie Rules and all that sort of stuff. And then being in Ethiopia we always played the American version. What's that called, Daryl? Gridiron? Right? And then you get used to playing gridiron. And when we finished playing that, I came back here and went to a place where they played rugby league. And I remember the first time I tried to play rugby league and I picked the ball up and I threw it. And everyone just looked at me as if there was something seriously wrong with me. And I said, what's wrong? They said, don't you know the rules? I'm playing according to the rules that I know. Now that's the kind of idea here of evil or wrong. I'm playing according to the rules that I understand or in fact now because I am an alien and a stranger I'm playing according to God's rules. The world will look at me and say the way that you're behaving is wrong. It doesn't necessarily mean they're saying it's bad, it's evil and wicked and we want to throw you in jail and kill you but they're saying that's wrong. It doesn't gel, it doesn't mix, it doesn't match. Don't do it, for goodness sake. It's embarrassing, if nothing else. There is also this idea, though, because they want to do things that are displeasing to God, that they will, in fact, reject things that are good and call them bad. Right? But Peter wants us to understand that this is how we're supposed to live. We're supposed to live according to God's rules in a world that he's made which does no longer understand those rules or even if they do understand them, has rejected them. And his summary statement says, Beloved, loved by God, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, as strangers and aliens, those people who no longer live in this world, to do what? to abstain from sinful desires which, will, which wage war against your soul. Refrain from living for yourself. The sinful desires here is not just talking about sexuality and lust and all of that. It's talking about all those desires that we have which are contrary to God's way. He says, refrain from living the way that you used to live. Because that way is in fact in enmity. It's at war with where you are in position of being a child of God. And then he says this, Live such good lives among the Gentiles, among the pagans, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And this is his statement that comes all the way through here. We, as Christian people, who have separated ourselves in one sense from following the desires of this world, living for ourselves, living according to the pattern of this world, but instead are going to live according to God's pattern. Our responsibility is to live good lives in the midst of everyone else. I find it fascinating. He doesn't say you have to think good theological thoughts, although we should do that. He doesn't say you must maintain very high standards morally in all of these areas and make sure everybody understands that. He doesn't say that. all of which is fine. He says live such good lives amongst them. Live lives that are kind, gracious, Loving, helpful, thinking of the other person, pure. Live lives like that. That even though they hold it against you because it is different from the rules that they normally run with, when the time comes, when God returns, they will praise him because of the way that you've lived. He says, this is what you're called upon to do. When you live in a world which is against you and the way that it wants you to run, the way that it wants you to act, the way that it wants you to talk, the way that it wants you to have relationships is opposite to God. Live godly lives. Live loving lives. Live kind lives. Live gracious lives so that even though they don't like it and even though they may even abuse you because of it, their response will be praising God. There's a bit of in in a lot of the different writings as to what it means they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And people say it's one of two things mainly. Either they'll say the way that you live and they'll say I want to live like that. In other words, your, your, your godly living before them will be so attractive that they'll want to come and be a follower of God as well and when he returns they will then praise God or When he comes back, even if they haven't followed him, they can only praise him for the way that you've behaved. The way that you've behaved has not caused them to pull him down. Now, I think about it in this way. I know that there are lots of people that I talk to who aren't Christians and as soon as I talk about God, they say, No, I want nothing to do with your God. Because I remember 10 years ago when I met this Christian, they did this. Or I went to that school and this person did this and they were a Christian. And the way that they were treated by someone who said they were a follower of God pulls God down in their estimation. Either of these ways of looking at it, I think, is fair. What Peter's basically then saying is that for us, if we're followers of Christ. Our lives are not to be good to the standard of this world, but good to the standard of the scriptures so that people will both be attracted to it. And even if they're not attracted to it, they can't call into question God because of our behaviour. I think of the, um, the legal stuff that's going on at the moment as they look at Christian institutions and the way that Christians behave. And I think... Why have Christians behaved in such a way that God's name is pulled down? We should do better than that. But the truth is often we don't. What Paul wants to encourage the church to do and he's doing it in this passage is to make sure that none of us, none of the people he's writing to, live in such a way that other people can look at us the way we treat them, the way that we behave in front of them, the way that we use our freedom now in Christ to reject Christianity and to reject God. But rather our behaviour is good, gracious, kind and loving. And they praise God because of it, even if they reject him. So then he goes on, very quickly, from 11 to, to 17, with a statement which is for everybody. And all of verses 13 to 16 in the Greek is a single sentence. There's actually one, if you like, thought with a number of explanatory phrases that are combined. In English it goes like this, the way that it's translated often says this. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right, for it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people. Do not, cover, do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. I suggest to you that it probably is better translated as one long sentence. Because there's this main idea, which if you like in, in the Greek is at the beginning and at the end of this, this sentence. And it kind of says this submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority live as free people live as God's slaves that's his point what are we to do? we're to submit ourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority to live as free people but to live as God's slaves and the other comments in there are explanatory things to help us understand what it means so let's look at that a little bit more Firstly, to submit. Most people I talk to don't like the word submit. And I can understand that. We kind of think this is this idea of putting ourselves under this oppressive regime. The word in the Greek is is kind of, it's a a negative. You know how we have these negative words? There's something and you negate it. I don't know. Give me an English word. I'm not good at English. What? Immoral. What to be moral, immoral. Well, it's that kind of thing. And what it means is the opposite of withdrawing is to submit. It's probably better, if you like, to allow yourself to, to go to responsibly occupy that which you're supposed to, rather than withdrawing from it. So if you submit to authority, it's saying rather than taking yourself away from that place or position that you're supposed to be, instead occupy responsibly the position that you're supposed to fulfill. That's kind of what the meaning is in this word submit. So when he's saying here submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority he's not saying go in there and be the poor little person who always says yes. Instead he's saying don't withdraw yourself from that and say I no longer have to fulfill my responsibilities but instead responsibly carry out the tasks that you're called upon to do in the line of authority that's been put before you. So if you like, when you get to the next part in chapter 3, which I'll leave for Daryl for next week, wives submit to your husbands. Wives responsibly occupy the task of a wife in that situation. Don't withdraw from it. Don't not do those things that you're supposed to do carry out appropriately the tasks that are yours. And so what he's saying to Christians is, you're an alien, you're a foreigner, you are living in a world where you're an alien, don't withdraw. Don't say, because I am free, because I'm now under the lordship of Christ Jesus, that I can step out of my human responsibilities understand that you live among the Gentiles. Fulfill your responsibilities properly towards them. And he goes on with some explanations. He says, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority, to governors, those who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. Live appropriately under every human institution. What does that mean for us? Pay your taxes the speed limit? Do you go to university, study and go to the exams? Do you do work? Don't cheat, don't say I'm sick when you're not. Don't steal pencils from the cupboard in the room over there. I wouldn't do that. All of the different rules and places where in a human place we have a responsibility to behave in a certain way, do it. workplace health and safety is the one that gets up my nose the most, right? I think they're just stupid rules, some of them, right? But they are the rules put in place in our human setting. So our responsibility as Christian people is to submit, to occupy responsibility as we're supposed to do it. What does that mean? It means I wear shoes when I'm walking around here because workplace health and safety says I'm supposed to. It means if I go on to a construction site, I put on one of those stupid hats. I wear steel boots when I go and do whatever. We have handrails next to things which you can't fall off anyway. These are the things that we do. It means you cross at the green man, not the red man. Why? Is it just to keep the law for goodness sake? And the answer is yes to keep the law for goodness sake so that no one can say of us who are followers of Jesus Christ that we are bad but rather the way in which we live is so good in their sight that they praise God on the day that he returns in our freedom for you live as free people just a quick aside for those who are interested in the Roman world if you weren't a slave you were free or if you weren't free you were a slave and most of the people were slaves what did it mean to be a slave? to be a slave meant that you had to do what someone else said to be free meant you could do what you wanted and it was actually defined that way freedom was the fact that no one could tell you what to do if you like and yet the law was there and so even free people understood that there was a law and there was this confusion how can I be truly free if I follow that law? And what Peter puts in place is you've been freed by Christ. You're no longer the slaves. You don't live in anymore. But in that freedom, you've now put yourself as slaves of God. You keep his law and his idea is that you keep the law of the world. Now understand there are a few qualifiers in here. It doesn't mean that if the world tells us to do something that's against God, we must keep it he says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake or on account of the Lord. Understand that there there are priorities here. That if God very, very clearly says that you're not to do something, then even if the rest of the world or the law and the government says you must do it, you hold firmly to what God's law is. But i found that those situations don't occur very often in our lives. We always use that as an ex- as a excuse not to keep the law. But I'm getting older, not 50 yet, but close. I haven't found very many situations where I've been living anywhere, where the law of the place that I've lived I can't keep. And I, I've lived in some hard places. You live in the Sudan. You're not allowed to do this, you're not allowed to do that. The only one that I couldn't keep was the one about proselytizing. I'm not allowed to share my faith. I'm not allowed to bring someone to the Lord. It's the only one I broke. Almost all of the others you could keep as well as doing your task and living as a Christian. So Peter's outs, if you like it here, are very rare. So for most of us, as followers of Jesus, we are to follow the law of the land and follow those the human institutions, if you like. So that includes human institutions of family, marriage, friendship, all those things. His comment is, as a Christian person, live such a godly, good life in this. Submit yourself to it. Responsibly, don't take a step back from it and say, I'm a Christian, I don't need to be involved. But get involved and live as a Christian godliness and goodness in there. He then goes on with a specific example to slaves. Verse 18 through to 21. Well, no, not quite that. 18 through to 20. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable to God. It's a comment slaves to masters, and we can go into a whole lot of conversation as to what that could or couldn't mean. But the specific example to people who are put under the possibility of a very harsh overlord, a very harsh human institution. We're not going to spend a lot of time on this because we could we could really go into a lot of depth. But just a few basic things. One one of the things that I find fascinating is. He's picked the human institution which, in the whole reading of scripture, seems to be contrary to God's way of dealing with things. The fact that a human being might own another human being. The fact that there might be this harsh treatment of someone else as, as property instead of as a person. All those sorts of things. And he said, even in that, if you're a follower of Jesus, a stranger, an alien in this world. And you're free. You're no longer a slave if you like in God's sight. You're free to live for God as ever he wants you to. Submit yourself to your master. Not just the good ones. Even the wicked and evil ones who beat you unjustly. Submit to them. Don't step away from that. Don't rebel against that. But rather live in a godly manner, in a good manner before them. Don't allow your actions and your words to mean that they have a right to beat you. Instead behave in such a way that if they beat you it's it's just because they're bad. Not because you are. There's nothing commendable, he says, in getting beaten if you deserve it. The only thing commendable is if they harass you and beat you because you've been good and you stand up under that continuing to live in a godly manner. The beating isn't what's commendable but the living under that and maintaining this godly, loving, kind, good attitude is commendable. That's as much as we're going to say on that one. But then he says, if you like, it's the centerpiece of this whole passage. He brings Christ in. Now a lot of people, when they look at this passage, go and talk about the gospel, because the gospel's all in here. To this you were called, and and we've got this statement of the gospel, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. He was perfect. When they hurled insults at him, he didn't retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. That's God. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you've been healed. A wonderful statement of our belief. But I don't believe Peter has put it in here so that we will reflect upon... The gospel again. Rather, he's put it in here to explain and to show us how Jesus has acted in a similar situation. He's setting that example for us, and he's saying, "This is what you should behave like." And in fact, they're set as as separate clauses um, in the in the original text. It kind of says like this. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. What are these examples? And it's almost like there's a who. What did he behave like? Who, this is what he was like. Committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. This is your example. You are to be someone who commits no sin and no deceit is found in your mouth. This is your example. This is the the footsteps you're supposed to follow. We as Christian people are supposed to go through life in such a way to copy Jesus here. We're not to be liars. No deceit. I hate coming through the airports. Um, I've probably told you various times I've come through the airports and as you get to that, you've got to fill in that, that card declaring stuff. Every time I get there, I know that what I'm going to declare will put me in the long line. But that when I get there, they're going to tell me, don't worry about it. Does that make sense? So I have my skis. I've been in a wilderness area. Have you been in a wilderness area? Yes. But I know when I get there, they're going to say, just skiing? I go, yeah. And they'll say, don't worry about it. So I kind of think if I don't kick it, then I'm just saving time, right? Or do you have food? The answer is yes, but it's packaged, it's cooked. And I know you're going to tell me that. So why do I say I don't have food. And there's always this dilemma. Maybe i just tell that little white porky because it doesn't really matter anything. But then the answer is no. No deceit Just found in matter. He said, well, that's a kind of a trivial, silly example. But what Peter's getting at here is that that should be our everyday life. Our everyday life should never be this thought that we have an opportunity to deceive. Instead, we should always just be honest. I mean, we say everything, but we should not seek to deceive people. Why? Not because it's good, although it is good, but because Jesus was like that, and he's our example. He was sinless. No deceit was found in his mouth. What's the next one? Who? Verse 23. When they held their insults at him, he didn't retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threat instead he entrusted himself to God when people come and harass us and we want to rebel against that because of its injustice and there is injustice out there and there's a righteous retaliation that you feel like you have a right to deserve he says don't do it act towards them with goodness act towards them with kindness, don't retaliate don't behave like they do I find this hardest on the roads. You know when that idiot's in front of you? And, you know, let me just explain this. I've just been driving in Canada. The speed limit is 100. So I drive at 100. And they'll come whipping up behind you and want to get past. And you say, it's 100. It's 100. And I can kind of cope with that. But then they whip in front of you and slow down to 90. And you just want to put the front of your car into the back of their car. Uh, does anyone else feel like that? Or well, the people who weave in and out? My natural reaction is, you deserve whatever you get, brother. Don't retaliate. Our natural reaction these are the fleshly desires, and this is where he's saying, we need to put them aside. We're supposed to understand that they war against us. Reject them. Resist them. And we all have different areas where this is our problem. But he says, no, Jesus didn't do that. And in this sense, he didn't retaliate. He took it. He allowed the judgment of how he was treated and how they acted to be left in God's hands. He says, so what you need to do is be like Christ. Verse 24. Who? He Himself bore our sins in His body on the cross, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. We can't die to. We can't bear out. We can't bear someone else's sins on the cross. But the idea here is, what did He do? That He bore our sins, so that we're dead to sins and we can live for righteousness. This is our example. This is our model. This is what we follow. you like this is the foundation of why we can live like we do. We're dead to sin. We're alive to righteousness. And for many people that sounds like pie in the sky. And people say, well, you know, Christianity is a matter of living good lives. Well, in one sense they're right. You don't become a Christian by living a good life. You become a Christian because Jesus bore his sin, our sin, in his body on the tree. He did that so that we might live a good life so that we might live to righteousness when we don't live to righteousness we're not taking what Christ has done and applying it to our lives so when we continue to be the same as everyone else around us we're looking at the example of Christ Jesus and saying sorry but no thanks and Peter says that's not how Christians live well it often is how Christians live but it's not how they should And lastly, verse 24. By whose wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you've returned to the shepherd and overseers of your soul. Overseer of your soul. He's saying, understand, you were there where you couldn't help. You were confused. In the words of Matthew, Mark, you're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. But now you have a shepherd. Because of what Christ has done, you now have someone who cares for you and who loves you and who can actually help you to live in this sort of way. The whole message of today is really fairly straightforward. Guys, if you're a follower of Christ Jesus, live a good life, no matter what comes no matter what the world around is doing, be an honest, caring, thoughtful, good citizen. Be an honest, thoughtful, caring, good husband or wife. Be an honest, caring, kind, good child. Be an honest, caring, good, diligent citizen student be an honest good caring diligent senior pastor, and on and on and on it goes in whatever life situation you find yourself in relationships in work be good that's what defines in one sense the way we are to live people who love one another and care for one another. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that we as your people, chosen by you, loved by you, cared for by you, who are separate from the world because we no longer follow the way of this world, but instead we follow you that we will live in such a way in the presence of the rest of the world that we might in no way bring your name into disrepute. Instead, because of the way we live, we might encourage people, care for them, love them, bless them. And even if they react badly towards us, Father, I pray that we will remain honest, We will never step away from our responsibilities in this world, but rather we will be the most diligent people because of our love for you. Father, I pray all of these things in the wonderful, blessed name of our Saviour Jesus.
0: Amen.